Hey guys, it's Jessica. And this is Kendra. And you're listening to Lucid, Lucid Lab. Lab. We go to Vegas tomorrow. We do. We are cramming in this last one. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Literally. Literally. <laughs> we leave tomorrow at 8.30 a.m. And yep. we're here recording at yeah. about 4 p.m. And we still <laughs> have to pack. Pack. And I still got some work to do. And yeah, kids and pets to transport and just a lot of fun stuff. You know? That's how dedicated we are. And we are. And we're like, if we don't do it now, it will be even harder when we come yeah. back to try and get yep. it in. So we, I researched a case probably quicker than I ever have for the podcast. <laughs> I hope it makes sense today. I think it will still be really good. But, you know, yeah, I think we put in a good amount of research here. I do listen to some other podcasts. And like, I remember hearing one girl say, I researched for a whole day. This is the most I've ever researched. And I'm like, what are we doing wrong? Because <laughs> some of these podcasts I, yeah. are so popular and they literally look it up in the afternoon. And they I'm like, read Wikipedia. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we spend so a lot of time. You, I hope you guys appreciate it. I hope so, too. I usually listen to multiple podcast books uh, mm-hmm. and then I'll read articles. I try and get the, I guess, the full view. Exactly. Before and for this case today, I was only able to consult maybe like three different sources. So it's all right. We'll still enjoy it. It will still be good, but it could have some you know, incorrect I, information. That's fine. We'll come back and do another episode. I've yes. seen people do that, you know, like, oh, we got to do that better. I have to say something about last week's episode. Oh, no. What? <laughs> In the beginning. <laughs> so I was listening to the episode and I started laughing. Oh. And I want to make sure everyone knows that I do understand that it is an EMF reader, not an EDM reader. I said EDM. <laughs> you know why you said that, though? Because I was listening back to Yates and you talked about the Warren Neckies and that he became an EDM singer Maybe. or something. Do you or remember? I was just, yeah, I was in this like dance mojo yeah. move I, right. I don't know it's funny because I said it so confidently and then when I was listening I'm like really Kendra you sound like an idiot you just said EDM <laughs> reader it's all right <laughs> so that is not what we rented we rented an EMF EMF reader. yes yes, yes. <laughs> just wanted to yeah. make sure that's out she there. wasn't having a dance party at Lizzie Borden she was trying to talk to them <laughs> I mean the dance party probably would have been a good time I mean, they might have enjoyed it. Maybe the ghost would have come out. They're like, nobody's done that before. Nobody does that. They just come into our house all the time and bug the shit out of us. They're usually like, show yourself. And you brought music. So (laughs) So it's been what, like a couple days? I was about to say, yeah, (laughs) since we've seen each other, we don't have a whole lot of new news to share. Not really. Really. uh, We're headed to Vegas tomorrow, like we said. And yeah, we're going to Vegas tomorrow. And we're just going to go with the flow and we're going to let loose. Yes. I need to let loose. Yeah, we're going to get yeah. get Jessica away from work and podcast. And I'm not even bringing my computer. And I have not not brought my computer <laughs> with me anywhere for the last decade. So this will be a new change for me. Yeah, I'm not bringing my computer either. We're not even going to work on the podcast. We're not going to work on anything except nope. having a good time yep. and not worrying about anything. Yeah. And then we are stupid too at the same time because we decided to take a 7 a.m. flight back from Las Vegas. I mean, when we come back, that's going to be a rough one for me. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be real rough. The one good thing about that is that we will maybe just not go to bed. (laughs) I, yeah, but then I got to come home and get my kid. Oh yeah. I don't know. I need a nap somewhere. You should have just um, let everyone know you're not coming back till Monday. I wish my life worked like that. (laughs) I'm the I'm the main person. I know. (laughs) I've been there my whole life too. I get it. My kids are just old enough now that they can leave me alone. Yeah, 
I also get sad about it. Like right now I'm really, really sad actually because yesterday was supposed to be my daughter's championship softball game mm-hmm. and I was going to be there. But because of Denver's lovely, I mean, I really do enjoy it. All the thunderstorms we've been having, it did its typical afternoon thunderstorm, which it's done literally every day. It's doing right now outside. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even look. And they canceled her game. And I'm really frustrated about that because it literally did the same thing the week before and it wasn't canceled. And the ground really wasn't that wet. It was fine. But now I'm missing my daughter's championship game and she's in the top two teams and she hit the winning point on on her last game that they beat the top team. And so my heart is shattered. Hopefully grandma will video or something. That's not good enough. I know. So now I'm like, okay, you keep giving us these thunderstorms. Rain the hardest on Thursday. So that so, they're forced to cancel again, and then it's rescheduled for next Tuesday, and then I can go. Well, let's hope. Yeah. I'm <laughs> well, putting it out in the universe. It's thundering it right, right now. now. Yeah. I mean, listen to me, guys. I mean, yeah, I'm loving these thunderstorms. I'm not looking forward to the... 111 degrees in Vegas. We talked about know. it last time, but I'm st- I have anxiety about it. <laughs> I don't think I. it's like registering what that's going to feel like. It's and going to feel like everybody's hell. like, it's dry heat. It's no. not. I'm like... It's still, I mean, 111. Give me a break. Guys. It's the gates of hell. Right. <laughs> I actually, I had this like anxious thought the other night and I usually, I don't know. I'm not usually that nervous about traveling, but I was like, what if the electricity goes out in Vegas? Don't we will say die. that. That's I like know. zombie Why movie am crap. I, and I'm like, if we're trapped there, we're just going to die. It's 111 degrees. So that's my happy thought for the trip. <laughs> that's what my brain does. I swear. I will be like falling asleep. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, let's think about a worst case scenario that could happen. I know. I am committing right now. I'll commit to Jessica and I'll put it out into the world that I am not going to drink too much. I'm yeah. going to have a good time. I'm going yeah. to get happy, drunk. I'm going to know my limits and stop because my 43 year old body cannot handle <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> alcohol like it could in its 20s. So I know. Exactly. I've accepted that. I've already told Kendra, I'm like, can we immediately go somewhere and buy jugs of water? Because <laughs> I'm going to need water and I don't want to have to pay $8 for some right. tiny water bottle in a gift shop somewhere. And we have two girls on the trip who don't drink. Yes. So that will help yeah. keep us all in check too, hopefully. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I'm committed to. I want to remember and enjoy. Still let loose, but that doesn't mean you have to not remember. I, we are too old. That's exactly. Silly. I mean, I know it's Vegas, but. And we're paying a lot of money to be there. Yes, so exactly. let's make good memories. And yeah, exactly. I guess let's go ahead and get into the story. And today. I have no idea what she's even talking about. She told no. me a name two days ago because it came out of her butt. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I totally like I was going to do a completely different episode and yep. it was becoming too much. It, like I needed more time. And yep. I was like, I can't do justice to this. So I literally found this case and did it in two days. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what it is. So I am talking about the case today of Annalise. Now, I don't know for sure how to say her last name. I listened to three different podcasts to try and get an answer. And every single one of them pronounced her last name different. So her first name is Annalise. And I think her last name is Michelle. It is spelled M-I-C-H-E-L. You might have heard her referred to as Michael or Mikkel. Those are the other two ways I've heard it pronounced. What are you going to do? Just say I'm Annalise. doing Annalise, Michelle, and I'll probably never say her last name again. Okay, so there we go. <laughs> but if you're wanting to look up information, I mean, um, are there it'll any, be in the episode. Um, uh, there are no like any kind of marks or anything like that. And okay. this story comes to us from Germany. 
and okay. that last name is not German. So yeah. whatever their heritage is, uh, I looked it up. I tried to find ways to pronounce it, and everything I heard said Michel, like as a French. Watch it's Mitchell. Could be anything. <laughs> so I tried. <laughs> it's fine. This case started in the 1970s, and it was right after. So 1973 was when The Exorcist came out. Okay. And that was the famous possession movie. Everybody knew of demon possession through The Exorcist. I think we've all watched, you know, different horror movies and things like that. And it's a real common theme in movies and TV shows nowadays, demon possession. But it really wasn't until The Exorcist came out. It's also easy to forget that, like, a lot of these are based on real stories. Yeah. It's a real Mm -hmm. practice. And it continues to be performed on real people even to this day. There was a recent article that there has been a rise in requests for exorcisms in America in the past five years. I believe it. It's crazy. So they said that they actually needed to hire and train more people within not just the Catholic Church, but also other evangelical uh, denominations have exorcism as well. And they're saying they're getting calls up to 20 per day right now in America with people needing or requesting help. It's spiritual warfare out there. Something like that. Yeah. And in the past, it used to be like five to 10. So we're up to 20 now. Not all calls coming into exorcists can be explained as demon possession. In fact, most will be discovered to be something else like disassociative yeah, disorder, identity disorder or some other kind of mental disorder. And so we now have a lot of psychiatrists also involved in, I guess, working alongside the exorcists. And I actually did some research on that as much as I could in two days. And I did find a couple of like psychiatrists, PhD psychologists that are working with these exorcists. And they're saying you know, we come in to give the scientific side and they said it is increasingly rare, like probably of the 20 calls, one, one per month. Yeah. Yeah. So you got 20 calls, that's 600 calls a month. Maybe one will, right. Will fit demon possession and the rest will be other explanations. But he said there are these very, very rare instances where there is nothing else that can explain explain what happened. And I've seen movies where they are very picky on if they even go to investigate anything. It is interesting that other denominations are coming out to help with that. Not like they're helping the Catholic Church, but coming out to do that because I believe it has to be approved by the archdiocese, right? That is the case that I am bringing today. This will go into demon possession. Possession, and it is crossed with true crime, actually, as well. Okay. So Annalise Michelle, most people would know her as the inspiration for the film The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Oh, I've seen that Have movie. Have you seen that? Yeah. Did you know it was based on a true story? I did know that. So it's based on her. Yes. Okay. It has been a while since I've seen it, though. So The Exorcism of Emily Rose did come out in 2005. So we were both a lot younger than we are today. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, I was remembering. I felt like I was a teenager at that point. Yeah. I mean, I was out of school. So she was a young woman who actually died in the throes of what I would consider an excessive number of exorcisms. Mm. 67 to be exact. Is that where this true crime comes into it? Because they're blamed for her dying? Yes, So that's why it's kind of a cross of both because we're going to look at it and this will be, again, you get to decide kind of a case. What do you believe happened? Do you believe that the priests and the parents were on the wrong side of it? They did end up in trial. Okay. So that is where the true crime will come in. Gotcha. So this happened in 1976 in Germany. Official autopsy reports would show that Annalise Michelle died of starvation and the inability to eat 
at the age of 23 after Mm. being subjected to 67 exorcisms in just 10 months. Actually, she has been designated as an unofficial Catholic saint. Mm. Some Catholics believe that she was a woman of holy goodness who suffered and died for their sins. And we'll get into this in the story. She felt like she was doing this for the greater good. And it's one of the theories behind what may have been happening. Okay. You know, if you believe in demon possession or was there a mental piece to it or was there abuse and some, yeah, yeah, some religious fanaticism, martyrdom. So we're going to talk about all of those things. But she is considered a saint. And there was actually articles out there on Catholic websites talking about the good things that she did. And she had actually written down some prayers and things for people before she died. Interesting. Others would argue that Annalise is an example of what happens when religious fervor goes a little too far, like Mm -hmm. I just said. Yeah. Whatever your belief, I'm going to present all of the facts and you can decide for yourself. But she will always be remembered as a tragic figure behind one of the most well-known and honestly terrifying cases of demonic possession. Undeniable to anyone who researches this case is how our fundamental understanding of the world around us is really challenged by this case. You have to like listen to this story and even going in, if you're skeptical of demon possession, I'm going to have some audio recordings and things like that, that might just make you think differently. Ooh, she sounds like a man. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of demon possession? Is that something that you believe? I believe wholeheartedly that that could happen. Yeah. There always is that mental question. Is this person's mind breaking? Because we already know, too, that with disassociative multiple, whatever, multiple personality disorder, whatever it's called today, when you have those other personalities, they can come out differently out of your mouth. Someone can sound like a child and then the next sentence sound like a grown ass man and then the next sentence sound like a woman. There's manipulation that can happen within our own vocal cords. And I think our personality does influence how we speak and the tone in which we speak. And there's other body factors that come into play with that. But all we have to do is look at actors. They can change their voice for everything. You're right. That's what's hard is you're always going to be able to do what you can to debunk something. Right. But I absolutely believe that this can happen absolutely especially if you're very vulnerable you have a lot of stress going on in your life maybe you're just a spiritually sensitive person so you're already more open and susceptible to being taken over but yes before I get into all the details of this case I looked into a little bit of this myself because it's like what do I believe because I do think it's possible to be possessed I grew up in the church. I've read the Bible. It talks about demonic possession, even in the Bible and Mm -hmm. probably every religion out there. And like we've discussed on past episodes where there's stories, there's usually truth behind it. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Do I think every person who thinks they're possessed by demons is probably not? I think there is some vulnerable minds. I mean, think about Andrea Yates that we just talked about a couple weeks ago. She thought she was possessed and I don't believe that she was. No, I don't believe she was possessed. The one thing that makes me start to think of a possession being true is when there is a lot of manipulation of their body parts Yes, or they can do something that's just not human. That's when you have to stop and be like, Okay. Okay. Something's different. <laughs> or she just got injected with alien <laughs> DNA and it's really more of a, an abduction. <laughs> <laughs> Something's growing inside. Yeah. So I want to talk about Dr. Gallagher and he is actually, he wrote a book called Demonic Foes. His name's Dr. Richard Gallagher and he is the person I mentioned in the beginning and just didn't have his name in front of me right now, but he is 
someone who got pulled into this because there was a very hard case in the 1970s, same time frame. 70s are always crazy. (laughs) And he got pulled in by a Catholic priest who was having trouble with a woman that was possessed and she was part of a satanic cult. He had never dabbled in demon possession, but he went in and started sitting in on so many exorcisms. And he's a Yale educated psychiatrist. And he ended up writing this book because he is in so many exorcisms over the rest of his career that he was like, he's like the rational, like skeptic that went in and it changed his mind because he saw so many things. What did he do with that girl? Well, you signed up. What do you mean? The girl from the satanic cult. (laughs) Why do you need extras? Well, so he tells a story and this is how it started is the night before the priest knocked on his door, he had two cats at his house. Mm. And in the middle of the night, his two cats that were like friendly with each other were like going at it. It woke him and his wife out and he came out and they were like in death grips. Like, oh, that makes me sad. Meowing at each other or like hissing or whatever and like really fighting. And then the next day... This priest knocks on his door and this girl is with him named Julia. And he said, you know, she has like the full gothy like eyeliner up to her hair and everything. Yeah. And the first thing she said to him was, how did you like what I did with your cats last night? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So like that just gave me chills just even thinking about it. This is reminding me of something. So my I told you about the ghosties here. Yeah. I'll just call them that. So my cat night before she was and she's old I mean she's very playful and fun and stuff but she doesn't do this often she was doing the zoomies yeah they run real fast back and forth but prior to this I had put my daughter to bed and I was out doing some stuff in the house and I heard laughing and I thought maybe her tv was on in her room or something so I went to her room and TV's not on. I heard it again and it's coming from my bedroom. And as I'm walking back to the bedroom, I see my cat running back and forth from the far wall of my window into the bathroom all the way there. She's going back and forth. And as I'm walking to my room, I heard the laughing again. And here she is being crazy. And the whole time she's doing demonic little meows. So I walk into my room and she sees me and she's like, She's, you know, she just turned into typical Safira and she's looking up at me and I'm like, nice. (laughs) I was like, you playing with my kitty? You better be nice. And then I just walked out. (laughs) That's how I I handled it. But then she was doing it again last night while I was out doing stuff in the rest of the house. And she's just running back and forth in my room and she's doing these weird meows. And so I walked up real slow to her and she was coming out of the bathroom and I just kind of peeked my head into the bathroom door frame and she's walking towards me and she's not looking up. So she didn't see me. And when she walked out, she just saw my feet and Uh she like freaked out and she screamed so loud at me. (laughs) It was so funny, but I'm like, I have a ghost here that's playing with my cat. Well, at least they like your cat. They're not torturing it or anything well, I told you here in the room it feels like that girl and I didn't feel anything bad from her so yeah Safira has a friend point or, is cats are sensitive to all this yes stuff, and so. and so that girl basically said I was messing with your cats last night and he was like this is weird and he also said that the same girl told him things about his life that nobody would know and so I bring this up because there are ways that priests and the psychiatrists that work with them know and ask questions and right. like judge a situation and know if it's true demon possession or something else. And one of those things is if they know things that they shouldn't know, yeah, like kind of like these psychic abilities that this person never displayed before. Right. 
The other is human strength and able to do things. Uh, We will hear in Annalise's story, the girl's only like... Well, she I mean, weighs like nothing now, right? Yeah, she was 68 pounds when she died. Oh, goodness. Um, but even at her full weight, she was only like 100 pounds. And she'll do things oh, wow. that don't make sense for a girl who's 100 pounds. Right. Yeah. And then also uh, speaking languages that they don't okay, know. Okay, that's a big one. I mean, sure, if it's like a kid who like really wants to be in the spotlight for having this crazy thing going on in their life, maybe they could go online and like listen to one thing. Right. And like just memorize it really, really good. <laughs> right. I mean, but, I could see that happening, but if you're having a full conversation and you don't know that language, especially yes. a language that's not taught anymore, because isn't it often Latin, Latin. or mm-hmm. something like that? Yeah. I just bring those up because as we go into the story, I want people to be thinking about those and does it fit the situation or is it more mental illness? I mean, it could be both. Maybe when she has her lucid moments, she's breaking from reality at the same time. I mean, she is being possessed. If you're being possessed, and I she's think made probably... to do crazy shit. So when she has a lucid moment, she's probably like, fuck, 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 <laughs> fuck, fuck. <laughs> I did that. Oh, my God. <laughs> OK, so let's talk about Annalise and where all of this started. So Annalise was born in 1952. She came from a small Bavarian town, which is in the southern part of Germany. And that town is called Klingenberg. And that is in the Catholic heartland of Germany. It is probably an area of Germany that's more superstitious than perhaps like northern Germany or or some of the more developed areas it was also a very religious area and she was brought up in that Catholic tradition her family was very devout and they were traditional Catholics they were so traditional in fact that it was considered a long-standing family tradition for the Michelles to dedicate at least one child to a career within the church so becoming a nun or a priest or something like that dedicate (laughs) sacrifice (laughs) (laughs) that's what they're like "Mm, this one so i bring this up because it's like you're being bred i know just to do this one thing that they need you to do they're like you're gonna be a nun and you're like but i want to have babies (laughs) (laughs) i love a man (laughs) i want to have sex in my life don't tell me that that's fucked up sorry so annalise herself from a young age expressed the desire to one day become a teacher of the principles of the catholic religion i think that still allowed her to get married etc okay her mother anna told the telegraph in 2005 so after she passed away she had a child out of wedlock in 1948 and she said that brought set shame on her family that she was made to wear black on her wedding day oh my god So I'm just painting the picture here. So the mother tried hard to atone for her sin. Of course. Because she had that baby out of wedlock. My goodness. Oh, no. Where's the baby? She's like that baby is one of Annalise's siblings. Okay, so he's still there. It wasn't. Okay. And it doesn't say if it was a boy or girl, but it was one of her siblings. I decided it's a boy for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) So the mother, like I said, was trying, I guess, to atone for that sin. And maybe she went a little far. It was said that she went to great extremes with her piety and her religious fervor, and she taught that to her younger children as well. So Annalise was subject to that because her mother felt guilty for having sex before marriage, God forbid. And so she was raised in that super strict Catholic home. Think about that for a second. This is one of the things that drives me nuts about religion and guilt and shame. She had sex. Sex right. can literally happen in two seconds. You're in the moment. Hormones. Hor- <laughs> like hormones are going crazy right. and you're not thinking. Or it wasn't really, she felt her pressured choice, or something like that. But it's something that 
in some cases literally lasts one minute and she's supposed to atone for that for the rest of her life. I know. That doesn't seem right to me. I've never understood that. I don't understand their whole hang up on sex and every animal in the world does does it. it. (laughs) So speaking more about Annalise's family, her father had always considered becoming a priest, I guess, until he got her mom pregnant (laughs) and three of her aunts were nuns as well. So very strict family she came from. So Annalise was a naturally sensitive girl and I think she internalized a lot of this and it was said that she felt pressured to atone for the sins of others around her. So I already see some psychological stuff going here. So from a young age, she would sleep on the floor as penance for drug addicts who themselves slept on the ground at the train station or elsewhere. She just felt overcome to do that. Like in her own space, even though she didn't know them, she just had the thought, oh, there's drug addicts sleeping on the floor. So I'm going to do this. Exactly. That does scream some mental stuff. That devout religious upbringing could provide evidence for her later possession being the result of this religious fanaticism and Mm -hmm. or fanaticism. And that's why I bring it up. Ooh, I can see why this is going to be a hard one because if it she does crazy one. stuff, mm-hmm. but really nothing is black and white. It could just be a mixture. I know. Everything that she did leading up to said possession is what led to said possession because she was so immersed in it all. Yes. So outside of her family's religious beliefs, I want to talk about Germany at that time in the 1970s. So the area she was in in Bavaria was very Catholic, but... At the time, only 63% of the Catholics in that area even believed in the devil. So this wasn't like an area that was, I guess, open and believing of demon possession, like you might have heard. In comparison, if you look at France, they believed highly in the devil, and they actually Mm -hmm. had 70 exorcists who openly practiced in France at the time, whereas in Germany, there were only three exorcists and Mm. they actually operated in secret because it was kind of looked at like you're crazy that doesn't happen so just bringing that up this would have been very out of the ordinary it wouldn't have been something like if it had happened in France it would have been like oh yeah people are saying they're possessed all the time Germany not so much and in Italy they same thing in that part of Europe they had over 70 exorcists as well and then you go to Poland and they had 350 what is happening in Poland (laughs) I don't know wow I love Polish movies (laughs) but if you think about German society they're a very rational kind of culture even in religious matters it's just very black and white Um, so it wasn't a social environment that Annalise would have grown up hearing things about the devil. It wasn't something that they really actively talked about even Mm. in church. So demonic possession wouldn't have been something, I guess I'm trying to say this wouldn't have been put into her mind by, even though she was very religious, I don't think it would have been put into her mind that demon possession happened all the time. Mm, Unless she was curious and came upon some work. Perhaps. And we'll talk about that because she did study a lot. But I think bringing that up just makes it, where we can't just discredit it right away and say this is totally religious fanaticism that led to this because this wasn't something that she would have been taught in Bavaria. Right, okay. So outside of the religious convictions of her family, there's much to suggest that Annalise had a very normal childhood. Her parents were described as strict yet protective. Her mother recalled that Annalise seemed to be a very happy child. She sang all the time. She was intelligent. Teachers and professors always complimented her. She had a lot of friends at school. She was just a quiet, happy girl. Aren't we all 
We all are <laughs> when we're that age. <laughs> However, Annalise did run into a lot of illness from a young age. So before the age of five, she contracted mumps, mm. measles, wow, and scarlet fever. Okay. So <laughs> this poor girl did have a lot of health problems. Mm. And she was even regarded as such a delicate child by her school teachers that her parents were told that she should probably stay home for a year or longer just so that her she immune could system heal. could catch yeah. up. Other than that, not much is said about Annalise from a young childhood until she hit her 16th birthday day and that's where the real tale is going to begin okay it's funny that you say like to her 16th birthday it just reminds me of like things set in stone like when you turn 16 you're gonna become a witch and (laughs) and hers was when you turn 16 you're gonna the demons (laughs) the demons are gonna come visit (laughs) so it was around the time of her 16th birthday september of 1968 she lost consciousness at school Later that evening, sometime after midnight, so her parents came and picked her up and then she was just, you know, put to bed. They thought she had an illness or something. She woke up after midnight and she was paralyzed. Oh, she lost control of her bladder Mm -hmm. and her breathing was very heavy. She felt like something was on her chest and she said that her tongue felt sore. The moment quickly passed. It didn't last very long, but it left her terrified. It sounds similar to sleep paralysis. Yeah. And they thought maybe that's what it was. So wetting the bed. I don't know. I don't think that's usually part of sleep paralysis. Maybe that's when the demon entered her. I don't know. That happened in 1968. And then a year later, in August of 1969, she suffered another brief blackout similar to the first one. And she woke up and felt completely paralyzed again. So that morning, her parents took her to the doctor. They referred her to a neurologist, Dr. Siegfried Luthi, and he ran an EEG, and they determined her brain activity was normal. He determined and concluded that Annalise was probably experiencing seizures like with symptoms thing. yeah, of grand mal epilepsy is oh. what he diagnosed her with. There weren't that many episodes. He didn't give her any kind of medication. It was kind of just a wait and watch thing. Yeah. After two, you don't give heavy drugs like that. You don't want to give anticonvulsants to somebody who's and had two situations. it's not like she's situations. hurting herself. She's like, I black out for two seconds. What's happening And then I'm me? paralyzed and Oh, yeah. Paralyzed. terrified. I forgot that part. <laughs> and I pee myself. But, <laughs> but it's okay. It went black. <laughs> That's all I was thinking. So... Not long after her visit to the doctor, she actually got a terrible sore throat and she had to get her tonsils removed. And then after that, she got pleurisy and pneumonia. And then the poor girl, her poor body, she got further complications because she got infected with tuberculosis. You know what it sounds like? She has an underlying issue that no one knows about. This is the 70s. Yeah. You know, something, one of those chronic issues that's lifelong and it just was not diagnosed. And so she was susceptible to all of these sicknesses. What, what is something. that? Uh, you know, an autoimmune disease that nobody knew about. And Possible. so she's just getting all this stuff and they're just treating all these things as they come. But she probably had something much more serious. I'm sure. Yeah. Medical system just hadn't caught up at that time. No. At one point, her symptoms got so bad that she stopped attending school and she was confined to her bed. Well, shit. So poor thing. It was now February of 1970. So she's been dealing with this for almost two years and she had no improvement in her condition. And so she was admitted to a clinic in Middleburg, which specialized in treating lung diseases in young patients. Do they put her in that big tube? I don't know. It doesn't say everything (laughs) that she did, but um, they said that she was told or her parents were told there that she had heart and circulatory problems, but they didn't go into detail about what those were or what caused them. 
No. And then in June of 1970, she experienced another. This would be her third episode where she blacked out and woke up completely paralyzed and urinated all over the bed. Does it say how long she was paralyzed for? When it said it only lasted a minute or so. So that's why I say sleep paralysis. Yeah, I mean, that's real weird. A minute's not very long at all. But some of these, it wasn't happening every time while she was sleeping. It was happening while she was I know, but have you ever, your brain is very, very powerful. She's going through a lot. There's a lot of stress. She has a lot going on and she is very spiritual. She's probably questioning why. Why, why, why is this (laughs) happening to me? So I can see that the brain is literally just stopping her from moving. And then she's able to come out of it. Or she's just having like a little lap. So after this third episode, she visited a different neurologist. His name was Dr. Von Holler. He did another EEG. And this time the test did reveal some irregularities in her brain. Okay. So he observed irregular alpha wave patterns as well as scattered delta and theta waves in her brain. And as such, he diagnosed her as having epilepsy and he prescribed her anticonvulsant medication at that time. Hmm. So after being in the hospital for now about five, six months, she was allowed to go home on August 29th. In regards to her mental health, it's worthwhile to discuss the emotional trauma from all of this. I mean, sounds like crap. I mean, she's visiting multiple health professionals. Mm -hmm. They're not figuring out what's happening. They don't know. And she's just being poked and prodded like, you know, a lab rat as a means to cope with this constant stress and the irritation at the doctor visits. She started smoking weed. No, (laughs) no, she's a good Catholic girl. So she buried herself in Christian literature and Mm. practices. So she become obsessed at this point with See, but that's what I'm saying is maybe she found something about this. Demon possession. Exactly. And we're going to go to it again, as I mentioned at the beginning, 1974 was when the the exorcist movie came out well and then you know with demon possession if you start to learn about it these people get sick things happen and you can let demons in starting to that but she's also starting to now justify if she's reading this oh this is why this is happening to me my goodness i'm possessed and also going back to dr gallagher when he was talking about like the people that he believed were truly possessed by demons he said there was always like a common thread between them most of the time they were immersing themselves in cult like usually on the satanic side right they're getting obsessed with that but it happens also if you get too far in the other side you can open yourself for possession as well exactly so because it becomes almost a delusional way about it like if you're so obsessed on being so righteous (laughs) you know what I'm saying it's like it's to an extreme and it's not what's the purpose of life if literally all you're doing is sitting down here I love you God I won't do anything (laughs) I love you God oh my God oh my God like that's not living no that's not what he wants you to do you're down here to live yes So let's go back to our mental state. So she was in a cold environment, doctor offices. I mean, we know what mental asylums are like here in the U.S. I can't imagine what they're like in Germany in the 70s. They probably weren't a very welcoming place. There was also reports that she was teased, I guess, in a way by other children at the clinic. And so she didn't make very many friends. She was kind of shunned and they called her snot nose. And how old is she right now? She was 16 in 1968. So she's 18. Oh, wow. They're teasing her? Who's teasing her? Other kids that are in the same. Her age? Yes, exactly. That's ridiculous. Did she have some snot in her nose? <laughs> I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. Get her Kleenex. Get her some Kleenex. Give her a heater. Give her a blanket. Shit. 
So while she was there, it was noted in her medical records that she had a deteriorating mental state and that she became depressed and withdrawn and then continued to fall into that religious literature. All these cases we do, it's like, how were they not supposed to freaking break? I know. And she's sick constantly. Yeah. She feels like shit. And she doesn't even have any friends to confide and talk no, to. They're all calling 18. her snot nose. Yeah. So her lifelong friend, Maria Burdick, testified in the court case that after her long illness, Annalise was changed. She said uh, she became quiet and withdrew from her friends that she did have outside the clinic. Yeah. Well, she couldn't even do anything anymore, technically, even if you have a good friend and they come to see you. You're still just you're laying not- in bed. Exactly. And you're not excelling with them and like all the social stuff and you're just removed from everything and it doesn't even become something you want to be a part of anymore. Also brought up is that there are suggestions that Annalise's relationship with her mother was very strained. Anna, her mother, was very overbearing, as I mentioned before, and she became even worse when her daughter was sick she was very overprotective of her daughter it would manifest in like her mom not letting Annalise do anything and this was before Mm. she went to the clinic but like she wasn't able to go do things that normal girls would do for example they said at the age of 14 Annalise was not allowed she was doing ballroom dancing really enjoying it and her mom took her out of that class because she was like you're just not healthy enough I'm just so afraid that you're gonna snap a bone So she had this overbearing mother just over her like, oh, my God, you're going to die. You're going to die. So you just think about all of these. That's a rough thing, because if she enjoyed it, that's endorphins. Guess what that does? It helps Helps. heal your body (laughs) and its physical activity. Guess what that helps with? It makes you want to (laughs) makes you want to it makes you want to (laughs) drink and eat more. Like, yeah, that's what would have helped her actually regain and some confidence and exactly all of this dancing is all about confidence gosh darn it one of the main psychiatrists that evaluated Annalise his name was Dr. Linner he said that Annalise's dysfunctional family was the root of her neuroses as he called it I mean so far he even brought up that Annalise you know had this deep-seated hatred towards her mother Mm. and that is what manifests in Later, when we see her possessed and she's afraid of holy objects and prayers. I gave it a chance. (laughs) Now I'm possessed. Like, that's her way out. (laughs) Maybe because that was something her mom used all the time Mm. towards them were holy objects and making them say prayers and things like that. Mm. So that could be why she has that aversion to religious elements later because they symbolized her overbearing mother. I mean, she could really just be traumatized from everything. And it is a multiple personality disorder. And someone could else be. someone else came forward and took over. And it's not her anymore. They're protecting her. Possible. I love saying all of this because then we're going to get into what really okay, happened. And we're probably going <laughs> to do a complete turnaround okay. because I'm going to play these things. And we're gonna be like, okay, yeah, no. All right. But I'm bringing all of this up because I think it's interesting to see Mm -hmm. both sides of it. Right. We're going to see the scientific side and then we're going to see the the possession side of it. So it was sometime during her stay at this Middleburg clinic that Annalise first started reporting encounters with the Fratzen. And that's the German word for grimaces. So I don't know. The Grimm's brothers are there? Um, (laughs) They might have been. You know what? I bet her mom read her the Grimm's brothers' tales and that's why. So the grimaces in Germany were like demonic faces. And I actually have a picture of this that I will post on our Instagram about what these guys look like. Mm. 
whenever she would witness them, she said they would come to her. She said it would make her feel empty and as though the devil was inside of her. In addition to the Fratson that were visiting her, Annalise also described experiencing foul-smelling odors, something that she likened to burning fecal matter whenever the Fratsons showed up. Dang, dudes. Yeah. So as her seizures intensified, Annalise claimed that demonic faces were becoming more frequent and that the voices which accompanied them told her that she was damned to hell. She's like, but why? <laughs> right. <laughs> In spite of these episodes, she was able to, I guess, function somewhat normally outside of that. When she did come out of the clinic, she actually seemed to be doing better outside of these creepy <laughs> fratsons visiting her. She seemed to be doing better. She actually got a boyfriend. His name was Peter and started acting like a normal 18, 19 year old. Peter's a good name. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy. So she was continuing to take her anticonvulsant drugs that were given to her. It was called Dilantin. And so at this time, nobody thought anything about the demonic things that she was saying. She was just regarded as having neuritis is actually what she was officially diagnosed with with possible epilepsy because it wasn't happening frequently enough for them to say she definitely had epilepsy. So they kind of said it was more neuroses, neuritis, and then possible seizures here and there. They even called it epileptic patterns and they gave her the Dilantin and then a Another doctor, when she came in about the demonic faces she was having, it seemed like she was having more seizures. So he actually bumped her up to a stronger anticonvulsant medication called Tegretol. Hmm. So now is when it's going to start getting a little crazy. I mean, she didn't improve. She had to improve a little bit to have got snatched she had a, boyfriend, a boyfriend or yeah. else he liked I mean, her that wild means stories. That she was out and about a little bit. And we're now in April of 1973. Annalise would be about 21 years old at this point. Of course, it's going to get crazy when she's of age. Just kidding. I don't know what Germany does. Started drinking. Uh, it's Germany. They've been drinking since they were born. Okay. <laughs> well, after the Grimm brothers. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So in April 1973, Annalise began hearing noises in her bedroom. In the middle of the night, she would be awoken by the sound of knocking. No other family member could hear these noises. And once again, they took her to see a doctor hmm. and he found nothing wrong with her hearing or anything unusual. I mean, to take her to a doctor, it sounds like, what was it, pounding or just constant knocking? And so this continued to escalate. Her symptoms became where she was hearing voices and hallucinations of these demonic faces, and it was becoming increasingly worse. Alongside her mental ailments, all of a sudden, she was beginning to have trouble speaking and walking. Ooh. And she was also said to be severely depressed. The knocking was the demon saying, let me in. I'm here. <laughs> she had been to all these doctors and nobody could help her. And she had been reading all of this literature. So mm. I think in her mind, she started to wonder, am yeah. I possessed? And so this is the point where she would reach out for the assistance of a priest. Personally, she did? She did. Wow. She went to the priest because her delusions, all of these images of demons and the voices were just becoming so extreme that she was terrified. Right. She got to the point where she was convinced that she was possessed. And her mother said that she would be in her room performing 400 squats per day. Why I squats? guess that demon wants her to be have a good booty. <laughs> I don't know. Her mom said that she would rip her clothes off. She would crawl under the table and begin barking like a dog. Okay. Uh, before you said that, I was like, puberty? <laughs> 
Okay, this is real weird. She began eating spiders oh, and flies. Can she come here? Because I have a problem. <laughs> can kidding. you imagine your like 21-year-old daughter is crawling under the table, barking, and then eating spiders in front of you? I mean, you? spiders, that's right there. That's an extreme behavior. Oh, I'm not done. Okay. She bit the head off of a dead bird. So, you know, when you're eating spiders and flies, you need something to drink. Oh, she no. would urinate on the floor and begin licking up her own urine. Okay, this went somewhere real fast. I told though. you it was about to get crazy. <laughs> I mean, she went for help and then she just came back. She's like, I'm not I'm even, possessed. I'm an animal. She began to exhibit strength that her parents described as close to superhuman. She threw her sister across the room as if she were a ragdoll. So this is a girl Aww. that's 100 pounds and yeah. she picked up her sister that was actually heavier than her and mm. threw her across the room. So okay. that's suspect right and during this time her parents said she barely slept and she would pray in her room fervently all night but that feels so strange though that kind of goes back to is she half lucid and half possessed why would she be praying a demon if he possessed her wouldn't allow her to pray it must be when she popped out of it he's like i have to go to the bathroom she's like yes <laughs> he's like yeah now that you've done all this nasty stuff like, she's like god 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 hurry 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 <laughs> she's like please save me i don't want to eat any more spiders hopefully none of them are poisonous she already has a weak enough body her poor body so according to her mother's testimony one evening over dinner annalise's hands began to swell and turn black Ooh, annalise black. cried out i have black hands my savior forgive me as this occurred, she claimed to be able to see diabolical faces on the wall, and she described them as having seven crowns and seven horns. Well, her mom described them as looking animalistic when her hands swelled up. Hmm. So I don't know what that means, if they were demon hands or what they exactly thought that was. She was turning into a dog. Maybe. I don't know. Werewolf. In addition well, to this, <laughs> her mother, Anna, recalled one episode where Annalise stood before a statue of the Virgin Mary and her eyes turned completely black. Ooh, That's creepy. Do we trust her mom? Do we? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just presenting the case. Okay. <laughs> I mean, going black, that would just solve it for me right there. Okay. Your eyes went black and you were able to turn them back. You're yeah. not. You're not. You're human. not you. So by now, <laughs> with all of this going on, <laughs> the possibility that Annalise was demonically possessed was in high consideration. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the priest that Annalise had been communicating with, his name was Father Ernst Alts. And he, at this point, shared her convictions that she was under the influence of Satan. Alts stated during the trial, he initially approached the case with skepticism. Mm -hmm. He did not believe that demonic possession could happen in the case of someone who was baptized. <laughs> <laughs> that absolves you 1000%. You got water on you as I a mean, baby. Give me a break. Are you serious? Baptism saves you? It's literally when we get into our adulthood that we fuck up. Right. And a lot of us are baptized. I'm baptized. Are you baptized? Yep. Okay. So, <laughs> and I've done wonderful things. <laughs> I mean, we all have if we're, if we're comparing us to this. Right. I had a baby out of wedlock. Ooh. Oh my God. <laughs> How dare you? So let's go back to... I don't want to be your friend anymore. I know. I'm horrible. <laughs> Same, though. <laughs> <laughs> so they brought in Dr. Luthi again, who was her psychiatrist. And he said around this time, Annalise became incapable of making decisions for herself. 
he was concerned that she was a vulnerable young woman who fell under the influence of Father Alt, her mother, and others in the religiously minded community, which resulted in her believing herself to be demonically possessed. So he was definitely like questioning that diagnosis. I mean, maybe she acts differently around different people. If she's only doing the dog eating spiders, weird stuff with her mom. I mean, that's who reported I mean, most of this. Black hands parents. and black eyes. I don't know. But maybe her mom is also having some mental issues and that's how she's seeing her daughter and it didn't actually happen. Right. The possibility of demonic possession was further or seemingly further evidenced by Annalise's growing intolerance of sacred objects such as holy water and crucifixes. She went on a pilgrimage with her father to San Damiano, a church monastery in northern Italy. And during that visit, Annalise found herself unable to enter the shrine. She claimed that the earth beneath her feet was burning and it pained her to look upon holy pictures and sacraments. On the way home, Annalise was not herself. Her voice changed and it was deep and masculine. She also began, this one's weird, exuding a foul odor which was so strong that other people on the bus reported how horrible the smell was. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, did she have bad eggs? I'm just kidding. (laughs) But (laughs) they always do say that demon possession Mm -hmm. come with foul odors. So this one kind of makes me start thinking, okay, if other people on the bus are saying that she's reeking. I mean, I've been around some stinky teenagers in my life, but usually doesn't smell up the whole bus. And if it's like a sudden thing. Right. Maybe he, because they were in a spiritual place, it just burned, <laughs> took over stronger. You know, it took her over even more intensely. So in May of 1975, Annalise is now 22. She suffered another severe emotional trauma. Her grandmother, whom she was deeply attached, passed away. And her sister, Barbara, who she was also close to, moved away to pursue a career. Well, she threw across the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> She's like, I'm out. Bye. So this caused her to regress even more into herself and her depression, and she became exceptionally sensitive and unable to cope with the world around her. During a conversation with Father Alt, she said, I cannot cope with reality. Some people would say this was the moment that Annalise suffered a complete mental breakdown. They also believe from a psychiatry perspective that this is what could have led her to develop multiple personality known today as a dissociative disorder. Mm -hmm. However, at the time in 1975, demonic possession was regarded as the likely explanation for Annalise's condition. So I guess what I'm saying about all of the dissociative disorder was when psychiatrists look back at this case, they think that might have been the breaking point because that's when everything's going to escalate again. I mean, is she the only one now there with her parents? It seems to be that way. I never saw anywhere how many siblings she had, but apparently this was her favorite sibling that moved away and then her grandmother passed away. So she's there with her mom. And it doesn't ever say anything about her dad. It's really just her mom. She apparently doesn't like. Yeah. And she's been, as far as we know, struggling and having health issues forever. And at least almost a decade now that she's been real sick going through all this. Yeah. So this is when the exorcist is brought in. So 1975, Father Arnold Rents, he's a senior priest and exorcist. He was brought in to help on Annalise's case. Upon his first visit, he said that he was astounded by Annalise. He claims that while standing, she would be repeatedly thrown to the floor by some great force. 
Each time she would respond in the same way. She would get up onto her knees and recite the Hail Mary prayer. Annalise's mother stated that the devil would constantly throw her daughter to the ground, so much so that Annalise eventually took to sleeping on the floor. And she had been sleeping on the floor for three years. So I don't know if he was throwing her out of the bed or what, but this was something that was recorded by Father Renz. Okay, wait. So she's 22, but we're talking back to 19 years old. She's been, been doing sleeping this? on the floor. Okay. But she liked the floor before. She had slept on the floor when she was a young child in that martyr system. Oh, so. this is when she was so young. Okay. Yeah. So this is when all medical avenues had been exhausted. They had done everything that they could. She's on anticonvulsants. She doesn't seem to be getting better. Priests, Renz and Alts, they began the preliminary steps towards exorcism. So they did a trial exorcism to ascertain whether or not Annalise was truly possessed. So a large part of exorcism, I don't think I knew this, it's kind of interrogation at first. They got to find out if there is a demonic entity and Mm -hmm. why it's there and taking control of the individual. And so at one point, the priest sat down next to her and they mentally commanded, depart from her, say who you are. Right. And they said immediately Annalise went into a frenzy. She grabbed herself by the neck and destroyed the rosary which she was wearing. Mm. Now here's the problem with most cases of demonic possession and exorcisms. It's all eyewitness testimony. There's never any videos Mm -hmm. in the room. So everything I'm going to say from now on is going to come from people who were, you know, presumably in the room when the exorcisms occurred. I I mean, I can see why these go to court sometimes. Yes. In the case of Annalise, the involvement of the church means that they did keep detailed notes and case files were kept by the priests involved in the exorcism. That's how we know about the destruction of the rosary. To the religiously minded people, they believe only the most powerful demons can destroy holy objects. I don't know how strong a rosary is. I don't think I've ever really had one. But... For whatever reason, her destroying the rosary made them believe she was truly possessed by a demon. And that's when they went and appealed to the Bishop of Würzburg to approve a real true exorcism. So that was just the, like I said, the pre-trial exorcism. It's like the initiation meeting for construction. (laughs) Something like that. They're like, this this is, uh... let's create a proposal and we're going to take it. (laughs) So I won't go into all of the details, but basically they went through the whole process. Like you mentioned, I think in the beginning, when we were first talking about demonic possession, Uh you have to go through all of these approvals within the church to get permission and proof that this person is truly possessed and mm-hmm. then they will send out I guess the big guns the people yeah, who right. really know how to From do the Vatican and, yes and exactly so once the approval was received the priests are able to initiate the centuries-old ritual of Catholic exorcism it's also known as the Roman ritual of 1614 on Sunday August 3rd 1975 Annalise underwent her first exorcism the Catholic religion is just so <laughs> Like, I don't know. Like, I love movies that involve Catholicism because it just feels so secretive and deep and like the secret society of these superheroes almost in some way. I know. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I want to be part of that. But not. (laughs) I have read because I think actually when I watched this movie years ago and they said it was based on a true story. Yeah. I may have read some of these things about it. I don't remember reading about Annalise specifically, but I think I read it about maybe the priests or something. And it's interesting to listen to I mean, to it really, them. I watched a movie that came out recently. I thought it was a really good movie. It had Russell Crowe. 
Yeah, I feel like I've seen that too. The, oh, the Pope's Exorcist is what it's called. Yes, it was a really good movie. I really enjoyed it. That movie shows you like kind of the process that they go through and how they send people out. And there's yeah. even advocates that are like, well, they don't think it's real, but these yes. people think it's real, and this and this. So it's it's always been really interesting to me. They're doing the Roman ritual, and it's at this point that as soon as the exorcism began, the demons began speaking through Annalise in deep guttural voices Mm. everyone present said that they were deeply disturbed so the priests that were at the exorcism said it was unusual for demons to reveal themselves right away so the priests were unprepared and they were struggling to even comprehend how quickly Annalise was speaking so they began recording everything for the bishop and others to study and it was actually Annalise herself who requested that they make audio tapes And that Mm. they be made public across the world so that people would believe there was a devil. So she asked for that. And we have audio tapes from all of these exorcisms. There's Mm. actually 42 audio tapes to be exact. Wow. And there's actually some YouTube videos out there called the exorcism tapes, I believe, where you can listen to all of them. I am going to play some here in a minute. When I listen to these, some of these exorcisms would last over four hours. And I don't know how your voice could do that for four hours, even if you were faking it. Let's say recording audio of it constantly going for four hours, just nonstop babbling and it's speaking in these really deep voices. So those Mm. are the things. And and we're going to hear some like weird screaming. Well, they're saying, how did it come forward so quickly? Well, if he is in there, whoever's in there, they'd been waiting. She's been going through this for quite for a some while. time. It's been, They're like, hi, priest. I've been waiting for you. It's you know, been type of situation. seven years at this point. Okay. It started so, in 1968. That's what's so confusing about these possessions. It's like we see them happen. Yeah. And it's like the end goal is to meet the priest. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> they always you know want to meet the priest. Well, let me tell you who was supposedly possessing Annalise. During these first few sessions, six demons actually revealed themselves. Six. Mm, so it is multiple personality. Or is it six demons possessing One her? likes spiders and one likes pee. <laughs> <laughs> so here are the six demons that revealed themselves. And this is actually on a tape that you can listen to. Are these demons coming forward? Mm. Lucifer. Okay. Judas. Okay. Nero. Cain. All right. Hitler and Fleischmann and Fleischmann was a disgraced 16th century priest. Oh, here's the other interesting part. When Hitler was supposedly talking, he would announce himself to the priests with a correct Austrian inflection, like the same way that Hitler spoke. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. The demons would criticize the church. They would ridicule the faithful and faithless alike, and they would exalt their own power. Another interesting thing that I saw, I don't actually have this in the notes, but Fleischmann, the disgraced priest, was able to tell very specific details about why he was excommunicated from the church. And this was not something that anyone outside of, I guess, like the priests would know because like this is the something inner circle. Exactly. This yeah. is not something that would have been published. It would have been top secret right. Catholic Vatican record, like only true bishops etc would know these details that were coming out so that was another thing that was very interesting to me when lucifer spoke he claimed to say or it was claimed that he said i want to conquer the earth for myself when hitler spoke he would say people are stupid like pigs 
They think it's all over after death, but it goes on. According to exorcists and paranormal experts, these names may have been chosen by other demonic entities in order to inspire fear and dread in those who were there. It's not necessarily that it was Lucifer and Judas. It's known in demon possessions that they demons will possess use other. <laughs> no, like they will use other names that they know will instill fear in people. So they wanted to sound, I guess, more badass than they were. Well, I guess. Okay. <laughs> They're, They're like tricksters. I'm. Really? It's like Tom from down the street. And he's like, I'm Lucifer. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So what I'm hearing is demonic entities have penis envy. <laughs> Obviously. What the heck? Well, that doesn't help ends. us. <laughs> I get why that happens, though, because the priest is like, oh, my gosh, we need the big guns. And yes. he's like, you really don't. Like, like you said, it was Tom. You can, just, you can just flick me on the nose and I'll disappear. <laughs> I'm like, Ow, that hurt. I'm gone. <laughs> I don't know why I choose Tom. I always choose random names. <laughs> But whatever the truth was behind these names, it did obviously disturb anyone who was in the room. Yeah, when Hitler. You that. Yes. And they're in Germany. Of course. And it's in the <laughs> 70s. I mean, it's not. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. The other thing that happened when Annalise was talking to the priests in these demonic voices is she would use so many curse words and, you know, Annalise being the good little church girl, it was very out of character. I think that still goes along with dissociative disorder that's known while she was talking in these different six demons she would begin speaking in tongues so she would speak languages other than german which is not something that she would have known unless maybe she learned some latin from reading but not the religion but not enough to carry fluently yes and using the correct that's always interesting whatever Annalise would also say that she saw other demons dancing around the priests while they were trying to exercise the ones inside what, like of her. Little baby goblins. She said they were like <laughs> mocking the priests, like, oh, look at them trying. And she would call that out. They also said invisible forces would throw Annalise's body from wall to wall. Mm. And she was almost always covered in bruises from well, head yeah. to toe. And I actually have pictures of her and midair. No. Of course not, never. But her laying in the bed after the exorcisms, and she is black and blue. Her head and face were so bruised that they looked almost black. Her eyes were swollen. She could hardly see. She looked like she had been abused. She was so battered. See, that's what's scary. Right. Our brains are thinking possession. This is happening because I will sit here and say, yes, I believe these things can happen. But... If it's not possession and everything that we have in these confessions or whatever accounts from other people, and it's just people holding her down and like restraints right. and other things. Ha- this is extreme abuse. fucking abuse. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Black and blue all over, really? They also said that she would gorge herself on large amounts of food and drink, but she always looked emaciated. And remember, in the original story, when I first started, the reason for death was starvation. But the priests Mm. are saying that she was eating during the exorcisms. Well, I'm assuming she then threw it up exorcist style. Probably. So, I mean, it's just it's cancels each other out. They also claim that she could move tables and chairs within the room with her brain, I guess, or the demons. So at this time, I want to play. I'm going to try this from my phone. A sound. Let me turn it all the way up. This is a short clip from the exorcism of how Annalise sounded. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Can you make that sound for hours on end? No, because what that is, is that is two different things going on at the same time. Guttural, there's literally a noise we cannot make that is also going on at the same time. That like gave me chills when I just played that. Did she have a cat in her tummy? I don't. (laughs) I mean, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like ridiculous screaming with a cat like in her esophagus. I just don't know how you would make those noises. I don't see how you can. And she's a hundred pound little 22 year old girl. And that is bloody murder screaming. Because if you listen, it's not like the other one stops when the other one starts. Like Mm -hmm. almost want you to play that again so I can listen. I'm going to play some other audio here in a minute. So the question is, with someone who has multiple personalities, would they be able to do that? Were they all banding together to yell at the same time when they're doing stuff like this? I mean, Tom and Nick and Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) The three guys. No, it's Hitler, Nero, Cain, and Lucifer. Oh, Judas. Don't forget Judas. So often the exorcism sessions, and once again, she went through 67 sessions in 10 months. So this was no joke. that's a lot. That's a lot for her little body to withstand Mm -hmm. they would culminate in such brutality because she would be throwing things around the room or hitting towards the exorcist the priest whatever that they would have to hold her down or chain her to a chair that's just damage too i mean she's gonna be thrashing against it regardless that's where i get yeah it is abuse in some way because here's the hard part about that and i guess if you're trying to expel someone out of a body you do need to contain them in some way but there has to be other ways because unless she possessed was trying to murder you right why do you why are you doing it this way it's still abuse in right. one way or another. 67 times. One time, two, three times. Maybe I understand 67. 67 seems excessive, but the demons weren't coming out. Well, then maybe there weren't any and she had a frog in her throat. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to play some more here in a minute. So these terrible episodes kept continuing and they kept performing the exorcisms. But Annalise would experience periods of lucidity. So I think this is interesting. So during these moments, she would spend time with her boyfriend, Peter, and they would plan what? their future together. See, that's what's so fucking weird. So she's acting, I'm like, using the word acting. She's being one way around her mom and the priests and everybody else. And then when she gets that moment to be with her boyfriend, she's like, I'm totally cool to you. Let's get <laughs> But married. she's got black eyes, like I would think. I mean, that doesn't go away. Makeup? I guess. She's really good I mean, I'm sure he's very concerned about her. Who knows the conversations that they had to and what was going on between their relationship. Do all we know is that she had a boyfriend named Peter and she saw him sometimes? He was her constant companion whenever she was lucid and they would plan their future out together. They wanted to be married when all of this was over. So underneath all of the horror, there was a real sense of hope that Annalise had that she would get better between the medicine or the exorcisms or a combination of both. She was very hopeful, according to Peter, of being cured and that they could get married and live a normal life. They would go walking in the woods nearby. However, Peter does tell a story that one time when they were in the woods, Annalise started walking off alone and Peter said it was like she was in a trance. She would later claim that she was walking alongside the Virgin Mary that day. Oh. Annalise said that the Virgin Mary told her, it pains my heart that so many souls are going to hell. Someone needs to do penance. Would you like to do penance for the souls so that they do not enter hell? 
So this is where I'm going to go into another theory about what was going on with it's Annalise, which is the Jesus martyrdom or something. Mary, that's not kind of you to ask somebody, especially a teenager. Even if she had agreed, then she wouldn't then seek help, right? Right. She'd want to just die. Right. She would go through would with whatever to. punishment was being done to her. It wasn't of her own asking, but she's taking like Jesus, right? She would just then do it. So she came back home after that trance and supposedly speaking with the Virgin Mary. And she told her family and the priests that she was given three days to consider the offer of paying penance for the souls to keep them from entering hell. Which ones? Because I mean... Life's gone on since. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you're born before she died, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay. She told them that she felt much better than she had in a long time and that the Virgin Mary had relieved her of the demon possession for the next three days while she considered the Virgin Mary's offer. Interesting. So the Michelle family was initially skeptical of her vision, which I think is probably the sane reaction. I don't know. But they said that Annalise was very happy for those three days and seemed in better health. So Mary can come in at any time and be like, six fuckers, leave her alone. Well, yeah, where's Mary? What the fuck? What? what the fuck? So this could show mental I mean, illness, dissociative. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I said, mean, I'm just reading the How the is it the warfare between these entities and spiritual beings if the spiritual beings can come in and be like, I'm going to give you three days because I can totally do this. I just didn't want to I before. I thought it was kind of fun to watch you. Like, get what? Thrown around the room. I'm kind of confused by that. She did express to her mother that she desired to accept this proposal from the Virgin Mary. And her parents tried to dissuade her. But she wanted to move forward. And this is where I get into what I was talking about, which is the martyrdom syndrome. This is defined by the need to seek out suffering Due to a psychological need to prove your religion, to prove your devotion to God. Okay. It manifests as an extreme form of penance out of love and duty towards others. Now, you think back to what I told you in the beginning about Annalise sleeping on the floor as a young child yeah. because drug addicts, like this has been building in her brain for a long yeah, time. A and long now time. this is the manifestation of it. And now yeah. she's going to conquer these demons and save all these souls from hell. That makes me think there's something mental there. It's but so hard. This is hard because I guess the one thing that I'm stuck on right now is that if it was Mary or someone else that came to see her, because it's not like we talked about this once. It's not like they say they're, hi, I'm Mary. Right. It's not like they, it's sometimes it's a, it's a knowing or they're like, this is who came to see me. If she had the power to stop the possessions and everything that she was going through, that's what stumps me. <laughs> the mental stuff yeah some people do have higher purposes you yes. know some people really do have higher purposes and they're here as you can call them prophets or whatever and they're right. doing other things I really do believe that but this seems strange because she's not doing anything yet it's just all pain for her and for what reason and she lived that way her whole life right and she didn't seem like she actually wanted to do that I mean yes she had the experience when she was younger but she did just want to be a teenager. It seemed like she wanted to be a teenager and have all these things and she never could. I think it can happen. I'm still here and I'm like, it's very possible. Demon possession, she yeah. She had demon possession and she was visited by someone who said, this is what we need you to do. Because in the grand scheme of things, I think that happens. There are people who are chosen who have to do very specific fucked up things and that's right. just what happens. But 
does her entire life have to be so like I'd almost believe it more if it happened instantaneously instead of not like, this out. A, a yeah. extreme lead up to everything and all of this trauma. So Annalise claimed that in her vision, it was foretold that the Virgin Mary would return on October 31st and expel the demons if she accepted that offer. Okay. So that day came and according to the priests, the demons were unusually passive on that day. They began an intensive session of exorcism during which they were able to extract desperate cries of agony from all six of the demons who claimed to inhabit the girl. When they started praying to the Virgin Mary, a truly chilling cry came from within Annalise and the voices yelled out, she's coming. Like all at once? Yes. Do you have a video? I have audio. You have a recording? Mm -hmm. It's in German, so we're not going to understand it, but you can hear it. But is it six voices? I don't know. Let's listen. Okay. I might have to listen back several times. Okay, fuck. <laughs> I got chills again. I don't know why. I, it's like I listened to that last one and then I just completely forgot. And then I come back to this second one and I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey coming out. I don't know. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> I just don't know how a little girl's making those noises. I don't like, think I she, really. She's not. Let's just let it go. Okay. Anyway, she's possessed. <laughs> she had a fucked up life. She had every reason to pretend and want to do all this other fucking shit, but she's possessed. Y'all Case have closed. To tell us what all you right. Think. Okay. <laughs> End of episode. We're done. All right. Check out our social media. Stay lucid. <laughs> okay. We got to keep going. I have more. Don't worry. I have more. I have another audio to play. Damn. In case y'all want to know. Okay. So after the demons had been banished, after you heard them scream, Annalise said in her normal voice, I'm completely free now. It's I so hope. wonderful. Oh, and then her body is so fucking wrecked that she dies. No, no. she's sick in her head. Okay. I wasn't right this time. It was at this moment, right after she said she was completely free, that the most unusual twist of any possession case happened. Reportedly, 10 to 15 minutes later, all six of the demons were back, complaining that as much as they wanted to, they could not leave. They were trapped inside of Annalise. What? Would Mary go on vacation? <laughs> From then on, they would complain daily, sometimes continuously, about how they wanted to leave, yet they were mysteriously bound to Annalise. Father Alt described how they would scream, we want to go, but we're not allowed to. As for Annalise herself, in her more lucid moments, she would complain of the great pain she was enduring. Is this what she agreed to with Mary? Then? It didn't sound like it. It sounded like Mary was going to expel the demons. Just for the day of October 31st. And then they come. 15 minutes. 15 it minutes. Like. Is yeah. Nothing. What the heck? It wasn't Mary. It Maybe was it was another demon. It was Margaret from down the street. Maybe it was, it was another. Jenny, yeah. It was, it was another Jenny demon fucking with her. <laughs> Jenny from the block. <laughs> She's like, I'll, I'll do this for you. And instead, it just made the demons trapped. Or I mean, something. that's that's that is a creepy thing to think about because they're tricksters. Right. And right. maybe it really wasn't one. Maybe 
whatever they did made the demons trapped. Maybe all the ones that were there were the smaller ones and a bigger one was stop pretending to be me. Guess what? Now I'm going to fucking been. trap you. It sounds like something happened. Just the vessel. the vessel. So on May 30th, 1976, Father Alt sought help because he didn't know what to do. And so he called up Dr. Richard Roth, who had previously been involved in the case. And Alt asked him to prescribe medication to help soothe Annalise because she was in a great deal of pain. However, the doctor said he didn't want to do this because he said... I can't give medication to a possessed person because I do not know how that might affect them. There is no injection I can give against the devil. So after this doctor examined Annalise and apparently noticed that she had stigmata marks, he said they she had the wounds of Christ on her legs. So I don't know. I guess that would be nails. Later, it was also alleged that there were nail-inflicted wounds on her hands as well. So this Dr. Roth is saying that he saw stigmata when he came to see her. What's on the legs? I mean, rope. I think they put nails through his ankles as well. Well, I know, but legs. I'm not sure. Rope. Probably just scratches. <laughs> I mean, we've only been taught this story a million times. I even up, watched The Passion of the Christ. And I, I should know this. That's a Anyways. really good movie, by the way. I watched that in the movie theater and I was very touched. It was a very good movie. I felt a certain way after watching that. I watched it when I was still Christian. So. Well, it doesn't matter. Like, I watched it when I wasn't involved with any church. It's really? just still like, yes, a very well done movie. It was from this point onwards, Annalise began to decay despite being provided with constant nourishment. Apparently. Like or, I said before, or, she was eating food and supposedly drinking, but she was dangerously thin and she had lost all color. The priests were not too concerned about her emaciation because they said that had happened the previous year and then she returned quickly to her normal healthy size. So they thought it was just a cycle that she would pull through. Huh. However, she started claiming that in July something would change. Well, that change was on the 1st of July in 1976 at the age of only 23, she died. She just died. As I said before, by the time she died, she had endured the rite of exorcism 67 times, some of those sessions lasting up to four hours. Mm. In her final moments, her mother was there, and Annalise's final words to her mother was, Mother, I'm afraid. So the apparent cause of death mm. was starvation. The autopsy report stated that she weighed a mere 68 pounds and that she suffered from broken knees due to continuous genuflections which is where you just keep falling down on your knees praying. If you remember oh, in the yeah. story I was saying, yeah. that it broke her knees. Ooh. So that's all the details of this story. And I'm going to get into the trial now, but uh, I don't do we know. have to. <laughs> I can play another audio. Yeah. Let's just remember why I said end of episode. You need to remind me too, <laughs> because I'm going to keep going back and forth. I'm in my going head. to play one more audio. Just know that when this went to trial, there were 42 tapes. And they did play many of these in the trial. So in the aftermath of Annalisa's death, the government proceeded to file charges. And the charges were for negligent homicide against the two priests, so Renz and Alt, and then Annalisa's parents, Anna and Joseph, so her mom and dad. At the time, it was the first official and public case of exorcism in Germany in approximately 50 years. Because as I said before, Germany was very secretive about this. Right. It is the only known case to have been recorded on audio tape. So this is like really the only time we've heard because that's something very locked down by the Catholic Church. And right. the only reason we hear these now and that they're public record is because of this trial. Why would they not want us to hear that? 
influence, maybe there would be too many cases and people being able that could to be because then people could similar. fake it. Yeah. More because for whatever reason, people do want to do that. It's called attention. So at the court case, the priest stated they had sent Annalise to as many doctors and psychiatrists as they could. They claimed they did everything that they could medically and that the only thing they could find was that it had to have been demonic possession. Annalise's mother on the stand claimed that it was Dr. Luthie who had recommended that the family consult the Catholic priest for help because he didn't know what else to do with her. Yeah. So to a lot of people involved in the case, they felt like the ineffectiveness of the medication proved that it was demonic possession. According to Father Gabriel Amorth, he's the former chief exorcist for the Vatican, and he claims to have performed over 30,000 exorcisms in his career. He said resistance to medicine is one of the typical symptoms of demonic interference. Resistance to medicine. I guess when you're having these kind of crazy symptoms. Okay. However, in the case of Annalise Michelle, I do want to bring up that this was the 1970s. Yeah. Epilepsy was not as well understood as it is today. For example, the MRI machine that really shows and is used for diagnosis, that wasn't invented until 1977. So they didn't have really good brain scans to show if it could have been epilepsy or or something, something else. else. Like I said, like there was something underlying making it so that she was constantly getting sick and with like really bad shit. Right. You know, like she was not okay. Something was something, ailing this girl exactly. from five years old. They also mention, we do know now today that there is a form of epilepsy that is drug resistant. I didn't know this until I researched this case, but they said some 20 to 40 percent of epileptics. So that's a pretty high percentage. Good chunk. Have that drug resistant form. You know, Annalise could have had that. We also want to talk about, I'm going to go back to The Exorcist. That was released in Germany in 1974. Okay. And that triggered the whole, they were calling it possession fever. And so they saw more people saying they were possessed. This was around the time that Annalise would have been saying that she felt like she was possessed. And so she'd been having these medical problems since 1968. And then come 1974, that's when she really started pushing to the priests that she thought she was possessed. I mean, some things that we have to consider when it comes to this, though, is just because they see something, maybe it's them saying, oh, my God, this explains What's happening to me, like, you know, not all of it is like, ooh, that's cool. I'm going to be possessed. I'm going to go through all this (laughs) shit and die. No, it's more like something is explaining something that I never knew how to I would have never thought of this before. And can I talk to somebody about this? That's the whole point of awareness. We were just talking about it. That's why we're doing what we do. If you don't ever see it and it doesn't have a name for you, how are you going to explain it to someone else? It's just going to sound crazy. I mean, imagine someone explaining Tourette's for the first time. I just say fucking shit all the time. I don't know why. And then I hit myself. Yeah. They're like, what? And then someone would say, "Uh, well, then don't do that. (laughs) They're like, I literally can't stop doing that. I know. It's like, why not? Why not just stop? Exactly. So during the trial, the state prosecutor, after all of their investigating, said that Annalise's death could have been prevented even one week before she died. That's why he brought up the negligent homicide because Mm. they were seeing her withering away. But according to the priest, they were feeding her and like her body just wasn't taking it. So I don't know, you know, that sounds hard. Like, which side do you believe? I mean, in the 70s, there's intravenous as well, right? Yeah, they could have. So they could have done things. They could have been trying to do more, hydrate her and make sure that she was taken care of regardless when she's sleeping. Right. And that's why I think negligent homicide is fitting for this because they could have done more instead of of just trying exorcisms all the time. I mean, 
the demons aren't the only things killing her at this point. She's, her body her is falling body, apart. I mean, if they're gone and all that's left is her and her body, then it's not going to last. And I'm going to show you some pictures. And this girl looks so frail and her face is, she looks like she's been abused. Yeah. So according to the doctors who testified at the trial, they told the court that Annalise died of a combination of epilepsy, mental disorders, and an extreme religious environment, which in the words of Professor Hans of Würzburg University added up to a spiritual sickness and heavy psychic disturbance. Both priests told the court they remain convinced that the woman was possessed and that her death finally freed her from the six demons. The parents also remained convinced that Annalise was possessed, but not that she was freed. So I don't know what they mean by that. It's her mom's shame and guilt that still won't let her go when her daughter is dead, that her daughter went to hell. Here's what happened, because her parents felt that she was still possessed in death. So in February, the parents ordered that their daughter's body be exhumed from her grave because they said a nun told them that she had a vision that their daughter's body was still intact and that was proof of her being possessed. Oh, goodness. So they exhumed the corpse of Annalise. Authorities said it showed normal body decay and that it was attended by hundreds of curious spectators. Okay. So in 1978, all four were found guilty and were wow. given. Yeah. And we're given six months suspended prison sentences and three years probation. This is one of those things where they say, think about it. Church and state need to be separated. Yes. This is an example. This is church and state separated. And they were tried for what we see without spirituality being involved. Yes. Because that's how it should be. Exactly. And we're sitting here talking about, well, if she truly was possessed, then, oh my gosh, you can't say that they should go to jail. Like they were doing what they could to help mm-hmm. her and save her. But no, they weren't. We already kind of talked about this just a minute ago that they could have done more. She could have been on they IVs. Could have. I there, mean, if that was my ways, daughter yes. dying in that horrible way, I, really, I think I would have done more. I don't know. It's 1970s. But I feel like I wouldn't there just watch ways. her waste away no, there and are keep ways. trusting that the Catholic priest going in there for four hours with the door shut all day <laughs> were doing the right thing. She wasn't even in there. For all we know, she was being sexually assaulted. We don't, we don't know. know. We don't know anything. But okay, I keep going back to your audio. I'm going to play audio again. Is there video? You said there is video. Oh, no, not video. They only took audio. There's never any video <sighs> of exorcism. How do we know it's not the fucking dudes doing the... <laughs> it could have been. Gosh darn it. Here we go. Rawr. Rawr. They literally could have just went and recorded something, and that's what's screaming back at the dudes talking. Maybe she's just fucking laying there after they raped her. Sorry, I'm stuck in my last episode. You're getting, yeah. We only have audio. Yeah. Was there an autopsy done on her when she died? Yes. And I'm actually about to talk about that. So I talked through the, they exhumed her body and she was, you know, not intact, like the nun said. So no proof there of possession. But let's talk about the medical side of it from the pathologist who did the autopsy. They actually took her brain during the autopsy to look at it, examining it for epilepsy in the way that they could back then. However, her brain showed no damage, which would have been caused by epileptic seizures, not even on a microscopic level. So this is really interesting to me. Mm. Equally bizarre in the findings was that she had no bed sores on her body or ulcerations on the skin, which are usually associated with victims of starvation. Starvation. And she's essentially been bedridden forever. So I'm sorry. Did I bring up something that wasn't considered? What's that? 
Was the mom not with her? I don't think moms are allowed in the room during exorcisms. I think only priests are. Okay. I'm going to play the other. All right, do it because now I need convinced again because I'm... You're going on a dark path. It's not even dark. It's just realistic. That's what sucks. Okay, I'm going to play the last audio that I have. And this is while they were having a conversation with the different demons, supposedly. So I'm going to bring us to a conclusion now after that. Can we rejoice? <laughs> well, I'm just going to tell you more about what's happened since the death. Okay. The very tragic death. And when you guys see pictures, I just showed them to me, Jessica. Yeah. This girl was, was beautiful. Yeah. And she looks like she was abused. Before this, she was so vibrant. She looked so happy and just like one of those girls who's just laughing all the time and someone snapped her picture. And then now she's maciated and she looks like the pictures you've seen from the Holocaust. Exactly. So we're going to conclude this story and I'm just going to tell you that this was used as the inspiration for the 2005 movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. The family, so the Michelle's Mikhail's, whatever you want to call them, they never received any money for this. They never made any like books. They didn't go on to do anything similar to like what we saw with Amityville and right. some of these others. They never capitalized on this. I guess that's good. They didn't I mean, use this to try and, and become a moneymaker like some possessions or hauntings it, it have can been be, done. But that doesn't mean there's not other personal reasons for going down this path. I will tell you, this is the quote I read from her mother. And she says... God told us to exercise my daughter's demons, and I don't regret her death. What? I think that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Because if I was a mom, I would regret that. So I think her mom, and I don't know, it never says much about her dad from what I've read. Yeah. I don't know if they're just so caught up in their religion that they don't acknowledge that something terrible happened to their daughter and they don't even want to consider that it could have been something other than demon possession. They think they did everything as parents and bringing these two priests in. <sighs> they thought they were doing everything to help their daughter and they believe that she died for a good reason. What a choice of words. I know. You don't regret her death. She was nothing by the end of it. It brings a lot of conflict when I think about it. I will also tell you many Catholics, they look to Annalise, like I said, they visit her gravesite to this day, they leave notes of gratitude and they pay homage to her sacrifice. There are those who believe that she was a martyr and that she was 
akin to a Christ-like figure. Or just really abused and still visit her, you know? And let me go back. So I said all four were found guilty and they were sentenced to prison, but none of them served any prison or probation because you had two priests and there was like this whole conflict between church and state yeah and you know the priests thought they were doing something it was their religious belief and so they didn't lock them away and then the parents it was decided that they had suffered enough by losing their daughter and so they did not serve any present time either well she didn't regret her death no so this one's complicated because at the end of the day this beautiful 23 year old girl who could have been suffering from some kind of mental disorder epilepsy a combination of both she could have been possessed I don't know but like at the end of the day she's dead now and there's really no answers for this no and now I'm even more confused than before (laughs) this is a hard one this is a hard one it's the 70s why they is can it? record evil voices and do <laughs> stupid shit. They really can. And the mother was so trusting. Yeah. And we know that things happen with priests. And, and a pretty behind girl. closed doors. And she was very pretty. And we're just coming off of Junko oh where we saw the worst of humanity. So mm, I don't know what to think right now. <laughs> Dang it. When I'm I heard going, the voices, yeah. I was like, heck yeah. And then I was like, wait a second. You can easily take three screaming different voices and throw them together on a track and And who's going to know latin but priests true they can do demon growls and and they're men so they can sound more manly and everything about this case is from (laughs) behind closed doors and the only people who can say if this did or did not happen is annalise's mom and siblings Mm. and the priests but they're all in the religious Kendra wasn't expecting this from me. I can tell because I went down the other route. I said, wait a second. There's no video. Did you think I was going to think that she was possessed? Yeah. I don't know. I never assume to think what you're going to think. (sighs) I personally don't think it was demonic possession. Okay. I mean, that's where I'm going to end. I do believe there is demonic possession and I think it does happen. I think this case was a girl who was suffering from something and it was fed into her brain that she was possessed, similar to Andrea Yates. And she went with it. And even if that was her making those noises, mm -hmm. it's not out of the realm of possibility to make those noises i mean and now that we're in the editing biz you can make shit sound crazy yeah you can (laughs) auto-tune it you can do anything you want i don't know but ever since i realized that they were locked in there with only them and it's 67 times i just have the ickiest you're thinking nefarious i didn't have time to research but now i kind of want to look into these two priests and see what's happened i mean for all we know they're now accused of exactly crimes for all we know but they're German, so I don't know if that would be as out there as it is in, like, America. Should we call upon Hitler? <laughs> it could also be that they, the Catholic Church, wanted to capitalize on the exorcist, and they made these audio tapes. It's just you interesting. No, I mean, that's a good point, though, because if the exorcist had come out... It had come out two years before this happened. Okay, then that makes sense, because we need to remember that churches... They're money makers too. They're the biggest money makers and they don't have to pay all the fucking taxes and they get to be their own states and they get to do all this stuff. That makes ridiculous amount of sense. And I was even boasting about it. I love the movies when we were talking about the priests and the, you know, the Vatican and all this stuff because it's interesting. And then 
and you have the books and the movies like angels and demons and all these things yeah. that are related. And and remember the statistic I gave you at the beginning where I said, what was it like 60 or 80 percent of Germans at the time did not believe in the devil? They're How like, do you get people to believe in the devil and then give money to the Catholic Church and feel like they need to go to church every day? You, yeah. you bring a case that scares everybody to yeah. death. Now you have the entire Germanic culture that's like, oh, crap. Right. We should have paid attention to this part of our religion because they're like, we only have three people there, guys. Come on. For all we, we know, need more yeah. agents. Church <laughs> attendance had dropped. I don't know. Like there are always ulterior motives for things. And always. this is all coming just us talking right like now. literally like right now I don't have anything written down no. about what my conclusion was because I didn't have time to do that this that time. too but like as soon as I asked her some questions offset I'm like okay my entire opinion of this has shifted instantaneously we do this a lot I know we do <laughs> but it's good discussion and I think it everyone is. should question everything everything because yeah it would be you know creepy cool to say oh this was a possession and now we have it on audio tape but why all of a sudden did they want this one on audio tape when this and has never so been many. done any other time Yeah, to this day? No. And this was right after the Exorcist movie mm -hmm. when people were obsessed with possession and wondering if it was real. And now, oh, look, the Catholic Church has audio tapes. And the only reason they're sharing them is because they got into a trial but they also said that Annalise was the one who said she wanted it on audio tapes and that she was talking so fast they couldn't write like they usually do. So all of that does seem a little suspicious. It does. And then she read me the transcripts from one of these audios and I'm listening to the transcript that she's reading to me versus the actual audio. And I'm like, I don't hear that that's being said. Yeah. I don't know Latin. But at one point, it's still reading things that so-and-so demon has said. And I'm like, she's just screaming. She's not saying shit right now. I want to go watch this Emily is Rose one, again. I feel like we're going to have to come back to this one at some point, do a part two, just get some more information. Because right now, I don't like some priests. So I'm looking at <laughs> All I know is that this poor girl went through some suffering. She said she was in pain. They asked the doctor to come in and give her medicine because she was in pain. Yeah. And she had a sweet little boyfriend that she wanted to marry. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like when she was just with him, she wasn't in this way. And where were her parents to protect her? Because that's your number one job as a no, parent. No, because is to what did you children. say in the beginning? She was delegated yeah. to be so, something. I think the parents liked the, the notoriety We don't of even know what their social status was. What no. was the community? How small was it? How big was it? What was their place within Klingenberg or whatever it was? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, we should, we have to go to Vegas. So demon we're going to possession. Stop. But now we are Shitty debunking priest. demon possession. So <laughs> that's what we like to do. Actually, we never debunk anything. We, we just don't. put it out there and let you guys mm -hmm. make the decisions. But I think there's a lot of questions in this story and it's good to think critically about it. I think so, because we're in a time right now where all of these things are happening. Yes. Bringing really, really bad people to light that were once trusted or you felt you could always trust. Yeah. And if we don't sit there and Question. say, yeah, if we don't do that, then we're not moving forward. We just can't follow the narrative on this one. We just can't. Well, this ended up being better than I thought. I, it did. For a rushed case, it brought a lot of good discussion. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> You're like, we were Another successful. Another good controversial episode. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to close it out now yeah. because... Yes. I need to go pack and you she need does. to go take care of your kitty cat. 
and your daughter. So thank you all for listening today. If you like this, please go on your favorite podcast platform, like our show and leave some comments because that helps us get visibility so others can listen. Yes, please. If you have any personal stories about exorcisms or demonic possession or you know somebody, man, those would be some really cool ones to hear and to tell your story on our lab reports. You can email those to lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com or write it in to P.O. Box 251 East Lake, Colorado 80614. And then please go visit all of our social media. We are at Lucid Lab Podcast, all one word on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook. And I will be posting pictures of this case. You can see the decline of Annalise from a normal, beautiful young girl to what became of her right before she died. We'll be back next week. Every Tuesday, release a new episode. Yep. We'll try to find something that's not controversial, but no promises. (laughs) It's always going to be that way, I think. It's just the way our brains work. (laughs) Alrighty. But in the meantime, yeah, stay lucid. Keep thinking. Stay lucid. Yep. And viva Las Vegas. Aye. Yeah, yeah. 